Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 37, What's Coming Out of Me. In this follow-up study of the Incarnation, Steve discusses how a greater revelation of the Incarnation affects our relationship with our Creator and the world around us. Over the past several months, my journey with Christ has brought me to some new thoughts. I don't know if they're insights um, about the Incarnation. And I am definitely thinking about the Incarnation in a less static way. Because I've thought of it so much as, as an event. I've thought of it in, in terms of the uh, Gospel narratives. But I'm beginning to think of it as an ongoing reality that continues to be creative. It's not something that happened 2,000 years ago. God is still creating me. When he said that to me a number of weeks ago, uh, it, it, it rocked me. And in fact, you know, the last couple of months I've been, uh, I've been preaching a lot in a lot of different countries and cities. And that keeps coming out. It's not in my notes, but it keeps coming out. He didn't create you. He is creating you. He is creating you. And uh, the incarnation is about an ongoing reality that continues to be creative. So if God is still creating me, this truth is causing me to go deeper in exploring the depths of Christ. And frankly, as I explore the depths of Christ... I'm discovering more of my depths. And this is why contemplation is so deeply transformative. Contemplation is a pretty important part of my life. Some of you know that I, I read, I tend to read the contemplatives and the mystics I have on and off for 40 years. Uh, they're usually a part of my daily time with the Lord. But I think that contemplation, because it takes me into the depths of Christ and I begin to discover more of me, including more of how he sees me, that's why, at least for me, contemplation is deeply transformative. It's slow. It feels like I'm not going forward but there's a cumulative thing that happens, at least for me. So knowing that he didn't just create me, but he's creating me, gives me hope. And it gives me hope that not only is he creating me, he is still creating the cosmos. I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, but this gives me hope because I can get deeply discouraged. Some of you who know me well know the issues of injustice are just very painful for me. There's nothing meritorious about that. I just, it's just the way he made me. But knowing that he's still creating, he's still creating the world. He's still creating the cosmos. 
gives me hope. Paul saw that all of creation, all that is, and all that takes place, all the activity in creation, has a great and very purposeful movement to it. Remember Dr. King, I just thought of this. Remember Dr. King famously, uh, on his last speech, the next day he was killed, he said, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. I just thought of that. Well, Paul put it this way. God has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. How many things? Think about that. What does that mean? All things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let me read it one more time. Because it points us, this movement of the cosmos that I talk about all the time, it points us into the whole movement that is connected with, with the incarnation, with God coming and living life in us and with us and through us. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There's a great connection between the incarnation and creation because in his incarnation, the second person of the Trinity, the creator, became creature. Think about that. The creator became creature. Isn't that mind-boggling? And this is the great mystery of, again, that word hypostasis, which is the complete joining 100% God, 100% man. Both creation and the incarnation are ongoing. This is really interesting. Back to the prologue, John's prologue, verse 9. He, he says this interesting phrase. The true light, speaking of Christ, the true light was coming into the world. Very carefully and intentionally in the Greek. He did not say the more normal structure is, would be the true light came into the world. He says, no, no, no. The true light was coming. John's prologue expresses the ongoing progressive movement of creation. It's still happening, and it will continue until the fullness of time when all things are united in Christ. Back to Ephesians 1. These are the kinds of things that have just been rolling around for me. I want to talk about, I think, four or five things here. The first one is the phrase, in Christ. Paul uses that phrase 164 times. And I think we've simplified it. You know, sometimes I'll hear definitions of it that are just too concrete, too small. Because we are talking about the infinite Christ. And I think that the more we let him stretch our minds, even in, outside of the, the comfort zone, I think the more we're probably following him. That's not a perfect analogy, but in Christ. 
So what I'm sharing, some of what I'm sharing tonight is the product of two truths that have become part of my contemplation in Christ. For me, as I sit and I'm still, usually in the morning, I tend to begin by using uh, a phrase, uh, Psalm 46, verse 10, and I'll just begin that way. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. Now, I just said it quicker than I do. But that's just part of, for me, beginning to center myself on the, the presence of the Lord. And then what happens is I just become aware in my breathing of God's presence because, after all, the breath of life, right? The pneuma. And this is the in Christ part. This is what is just coming out of me all the time. Two truths from the New Testament. You're in me and I'm in you. You're in me and I'm in you. Their implication is stretching my awareness and my thinking about the Incarnation. Lord, if you're in me and I'm in you and you're in all things, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. This week's episode is brought to you by our Crisis Pregnancy Program in Uganda. You've probably heard us talk a lot about our partners at the Remnant Generation in Kampala, and regular listeners may recall our interview with their founder, Annabelle, just last year. These people are my heroes. They are rescuing women from horrific sexual abuse and even homelessness. Young teens who were impregnated by their abusers are discovering hope in Christ. You can join us in providing girls as young as 13 years old with a safe place to live, counseling, and the medical care needed to carry their babies to term. On multiple occasions, we have found pregnant teens that are so sick or malnourished that they are at the risk of death. This year, we hope to serve 30 young mothers and their babies, which is absolutely awesome, but it's going to take a lot of resources. In fact, the total estimated cost is over $21,000. If this is something that you're really passionate about, take a moment and visit impactnations.com babies. Your generous contribution will probably save the life of a mother and her unborn child. Thanks. And now back to the podcast. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Everybody still following me? Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, that is Christ, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I am living in a world of more questions than answers right now in my contemplation of the Lord. But I'm becoming more and more comfortable with unanswered questions. Note it says, all things 
are reconciled to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is the movement of Christ's creation. This is the destiny of creation. It is the reconciliation of all things. And notice, it is not conditional. Creation has a common identity that is driving the cosmos forward. David Bentley Hart said this, The cosmos will have been truly created only when it reaches its consummation in the union of all things in Christ. He created and he's creating. It's all the same. This is what he's doing. So this is what Paul called the mystery of his purpose in the passage I just read you, Ephesians 1.9. If Christ has already reconciled all things to himself through the work of the cross, he said it is finished, we know that, then why do we feel alienated? Christina and I had a long talk about this last week, I think, when she came back from Kenya, where they, they reached so many lives. Lisa was with her, where they touched so many broken and alienated lives. And she asked me, what's the difference between separation and alienation? And this is, this is the conclusion that I, I gave her. Separation is an objective truth. It's just an objective truth. Things are together or they're separated. But because of the cross, there is no separation. It's really important that we get that. That's why I insist the gospel is not conditional good news. It's good news. I, you've heard me talk about that before. It's not if you will respond, if you'll do this, if you'll do that. That's conditional good news. The gospel, the radical gospel, is it is finished and there is no separation. It's not, it can be finished if you'll just believe it. It's finished. But alienation, here's the difference, is the feeling of being separated, the feeling of being isolated or far from God. Alienation is not true. But the feelings are very real. When Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know he was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. At that moment, he was deeply identifying with our feelings of alienation. But we can never be separated because of the incarnation. God in Christ has entered into his creation and nothing can ever separate him from his creation. Not the worst sin you could think of, not the greatest calamity, nothing can separate him from his creation. Creator has become creature without stopping being creator. Trinity, 
The triune relationship, perichoresis, is eternal, unbroken relationship. In the incarnation, Christ brought that to us, and he brought us into that perfect relationship. I truly am in Christ, and Christ is in me. And it's not just trying to remember the Neil Anderson 40 statements of being in Christ, although praise God for Neil Anderson. But that's here. I'm telling you in a contemplative sense, in an experiential sense, he's in me and I'm in him. So question with no answer. If I'm in Christ and Christ is in all things, what does that mean for my connection? Hey, Hector, what does that mean for my connection, my relationship with creation? And I think that's worth thinking about in this day and age especially. So I'll ask it again. If I'm in Christ, and I am, and Christ is in me, and Christ is in all things, what does that mean for my relationship with the creation? So those are some thoughts just on that phrase, in Christ. Here's the second thing that's been rolling around in me on the incarnation these last few months. The Creator has joined with His creation. Because of the incarnation, there is no separation between the Creator and His creation. No matter what is happening in creation, Christ is in the midst of it. That's back to the place of what Peter calls living hope. I don't know about you, I find it harder and harder. Is it just because I'm getting older or is it because it's getting worse? I find it harder and harder to watch the news and I'm a news hound. It's just, but the good news is he is creating. He is still, he is creating. The creator has joined with his creation. Therefore, the supernatural is embedded in the natural. Think about that. The supernatural is embedded in the natural. This breaks down any dualism in our worldview of there's no sacred and and secular. Because, Because of the incarnation, the supernatural is embedded. This is why I insist, and many of you would agree with me, that the gospel of the kingdom must touch every part of life. This is why I insist that we pray for the blind and the lame and the deaf and we give them food and medicine. It's not that I'm trying to cover all the angles. It's this, that the supernatural is inseparable from the natural. Looking again at John 1.14 and the word became flesh and took up residence among us. John 1.14, which describes the incarnation, has become the very nature of the universe. 
The cross was the event and the action of God to restore creation. That's why, I, for me, I, I, I could never be a universalist. I can be lots of things. Um, I, a hopeful inclusivist, perhaps, but, but the cross, nothing can minimize the necessity and the power of the cross. Because it was at the cross that God broke in to restore creation and to defeat the death of creation. You understand that creation was dying. And at the cross, when he defeated the powers that be, he said, live and not die. And that's why I insist that his creation is ongoing and why the cross was so necessary. So the ultimate destiny of creation has forever changed. In celebrating and trying to understand the eternal implications of the Incarnation, we must not overlook the problem of sin and death, the need for a Savior, the importance of the cross and resurrection, the necessity for a faith response. I am not saying there isn't necessity for a faith response, but it's already finished. Christ has already reconciled us and all things. And he invites us to turn and respond to that reality. It doesn't become a reality if we pray a sinner's prayer. It is us realizing Christ is in me. I am in Christ. Realizing he's already done it. And living my life with Christ, which takes a choice. It's called metanoia. You guys still with me? All right. Thirdly, the incarnation is about radical inclusion. These last couple of points have really challenged me. The gospel is and must always be inclusive. I teach that to pastors and leaders all the time. I say gospel is always, without exception, inclusive. Religion is always exclusive, even when it looks nice. Religion says if you look like us, you believe like us, you act like us, you can be us. Gospel says you're already us. That's why Jesus said to everyone, come, you come too, of course. Come and see. If incarnation is radically inclusive, how can we apply this radical inclusiveness to our corporate and individual lives? I will say, I'll go out on a limb and say, by and large, the North American Evangelical Church is rather profoundly non-inclusive. Uh, it's nice, but it's not inclusive. We do not live our lives inclusively. We live our lives within the confines of our comfort circle, and that's not gospel. Here's an interesting thought. I was thinking about this yesterday and today. John 8:12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, I've always thought of that as, yes, he's the light that shines out on the world, right? And I think it probably means that. 
but it might mean something else too. What if we turn this thing? We reverse our perspective. What if it is not so much that Christ shines his light in the world, but that the world reveals his light to those who can see it? And that, I've tried to put words to part of the big process for me the last year or two. I'm just starting to recognize him all around me without crosses and hymns and buildings, all of which are fine, but I would have recognized him in that anyway. So let me ask that question again. When he said, I, I am the light of the world, what if it is not so much that Christ shines his light in the world, but that the world reveals his light to those who can see it? came across a great quote from Richard Rohr. He says this, A mature Christian sees Christ in everything and everyone else. Wow. Now, if we do not understand that the incarnation means that God is still creating, then how could we see Christ in some of the situations and some of the people? But he is creating. And so a mature Christian sees Christ in everything and everyone else. The incarnation is God's solidarity with his creation instead of judgment against the creation. Think about that. The incarnation is God's solidarity. No wonder he tells me all the time, I'm in you and you're in me. And when I say, I love you, he says to me, I love you. And I said, but I love you. He says, I love you. What more could I ask for? It's his solidarity with me instead of judgment. So the incarnation is about radical inclusion. Number four. We're on the home stretch, folks. The incarnation is about radical identification. God revealed, expressed, lived his love for us by becoming like us. Isn't that amazing? Just sometime, take some time to contemplate how radical, how radical it is that the God who, who created the universe would actually do this. And back to what I said earlier, the creator becomes creature. He lived his love for us by becoming like us. How, how can I even understand God becoming man? Unless I have a very small God, a very small Jesus. The great commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, 
directly links love for God with people. By extension. If God lived, expressed and lived his love by becoming one of us, which I just said, then by extension, we love God through our identification with others. Identification means joining with others. I've taught you in the past about compassion. The the Greek word is splanknozomai. Compassion is not a feeling. It is entering into another's pain, another's situation. Therefore, incarnational faith has to be hands-on. This is what can drive me to frustration. My wife has to calm me down multiple times a month. Because incarnational faith has to be hands-on. It can't be more theology. It can't be more ideas. The incarnation wasn't theology. It was God becoming one of us. How's that for identification? He got hungry. He got tired. He was afraid in the garden. God! And how can we settle for just more Bible teaching? How can I settle for that? Incarnational faith is always hands-on. It does not allow us a distant or theoretical caring about others. I've told you before, what we believe, what we contemplate, what we meditate upon, what we believe about Christ will determine the way we live our lives. And that's why the incarnation is just taking me deeper and shaking me harder. Number five, the incarnation is about radical immersion. Radical immersion. In becoming us, in becoming his creation, Christ fully gave himself to both great love and great suffering. To live incarnationally is to embrace both love and suffering. And you can take that to the bank. Nothing truly transforms us but love and suffering. Romans 8, 29, we're being conformed into the image of his son. I came from a tradition that said, that means you've got to be holier and more righteous and have it more together because Jesus had it together. Romans 8, 29, we are being conformed into his image. What's his image, folks? This is his image. This is what he's conforming us into. (sighs) Following Christ means giving ourselves to him through both love and suffering. True love and suffering require abandonment, a full giving of ourselves over to him and his creation. 
giving ourselves to him and his creation. That means people. That means situations. And trusting him in the midst of it. Number six, and with this I end, the incarnation is about union. And maybe this is the greatest truth that's hit me over the months. Maybe this is the most transformative truth, that the incarnation is about union. The realization which I am experiencing in the silence of intimacy, that I'm in you and you're in me. I'm in you and you're in me. This is the growing foundation of my life. It is this realization that is so transformative. It is this that overcomes all of my sense of abandonment or distance or fear or insecurity as this goes deeper and deeper like my breath, like the pneuma. I'm in you and you're in me. And I'm in you and you're in me. So that's me trying to put some words to my journey since I last saw you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your presence, your faithfulness. Thank you that you love us by by becoming us. Thank you, Lord, for your radical inclusion. Immersion, Lord, in me and I in you. Lord, I pray that you would just increase and increase and increase our understanding and our longing for more understanding. That you, the triune God, The creator has become the creature without stopping being the creator. Take us deep, Lord. Take us deep. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us. I think we've all been challenged to put our theology into practice and let it guide the way that we care for the people around us. Speaking of which, please don't forget to visit impactnations.com babies to learn how you can rescue a girl and her unborn child today. Thanks and have a great week. Mm-hmm.